Yes, Paul has shared the message of um, Christianity with the people of Galatia. And many accepted, them to, accepted it to be true. But they're starting to run away. They're starting to say, no, this message is not true. And not only that, they're starting to reject his message and him as the messenger. Here's what he says at the start. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the gospel, in the, sorry, in the grace of Christ, and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So Paul befriended them, and he, they, they, he presented them with the message of Jesus. And we know that Jesus, it, it, that message of Jesus is one that, that he invites us to enjoy freely, without having to prove ourselves or, or pay our way to earn anything. But now Paul has left, and the Galatians are turning to another gospel, something that isn't actually a gospel at all, not, isn't, isn't good news. Paul tells them that he fears for them. And this young church is starting to follow this group of agitators with a radically different message. So I'm going to invite Lorna up to come and read Paul's response uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, and that will appear, sorry, verses 8 to, 10, 8 to 20, and that will appear on the screen. So thank you, Lorna. So this Galatians 4, verse 8 to 20. It says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us, so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Wonderful. Thank you, Lorna. So Paul is perplexed. Now, why is Paul perplexed? Why is he confused? Well, the Galatians are a people who previously worshipped pagan idols who are, by nature, not gods. Now, this is associated with immoral practices. And they're described as being slaves to these idols, trapped by the man-made kind of rituals around them and, and, and the rules that their followers have to, have to follow. But then, in verse 9, they came to know God. They were liberated from that slavery and able to enjoy that wonderful grace that God gives. But now they are turning back to these, these forces or, or these basic principles of the world that we talked about last week. Now in these, this passage, these are called the weak and miserable forces of the world. The idea that, that we, we earn what we get. We, it stems from the view that everything is a transaction. All that we do is a, a give and take. 
transaction. It's the idea we need to, need to redeem ourselves, and, and the focus of our lives, therefore, will be on what we think we need to give in order to get what we want, because we believe that's what's going to give us true life. We, and therefore, we worship in some way. We worship whatever that is. Now, this looks different in various cultures and between individuals as well. It might be the worship of a, a physical idol like the Galatians, or, or maybe it's a type of superstition, or, or, or perhaps our lives are just simply focused on, on money, romance, power, reputation, politics, anything. It can be anything. And not, they're not all bad things, but when they become our focus, then that's what we worship. And it's so easy to look at anything in that way that gives us satisfaction or identity or salvation. Now, it appears that these, these basic principles of the world are a fundamental and natural part of how we tend to operate as human beings. And because it comes so naturally to us, we automatically gravitate towards it. It's like a scrap of copper being drawn towards a very powerful magnet. We are drawn towards this way of thinking, and it's very hard to free ourselves from it. Well, Paul's point here is that anything that we treat as God becomes a slave master over us. And Paul describes these things as weak and miserable. Weak because the principle has has no strength to actually save us. And miserable because it has nothing with which to bless us. It's not an enjoyable experience to be enslaved. And the Galatians, he says, are turning back to these weak and miserable principles. But this time, instead of going back to pagan rituals, they're going back to religious slavery, needing to follow special elements of religious law in order to please God. But Paul regards both of these things as types of slavery. Both are weak. Both are miserable. Neither has power to save, and neither brings blessing to the lives of those enslaved. It's like they've been liberated from a, from a prisoner of war camp, and they're free, free at last. And then they run off to be encaptured, enslaved by another prisoner of war camp, and they run willingly towards it. It's folly. And Paul pleads with them to see the folly of crawling back to that equally enslaving prison cell. So this is the root of the perplexity of Paul. Why? Why? Why would they go back to such misery, to slavery? They reject his message. They've abandoned the gospel of grace and they return to a slavery of fear. And that's why Paul feels he's wasted his efforts with them in verse 11. They're just going back to what they were before, slaves. They might look a bit more religious. They're they're following religious ritual and observing special days and months and seasons and years. But they're actually just slaves. They may not be engaging with the pagan immorality of the time, but they're still slaves. One author explains this really well. Paul is saying that that earning one's own salvation through scrupulous biblical morality and religion is just as much enslavement to idols as outright paganism and all its immoral practices. In the end, the religious person is as lost and enslaved as the irreligious person. Why? Because both are trying to be their own saviour and lord, but in different ways. Both are based on the basic principles of the world. But there's another element to Paul's perplexity in verse 16. See what he says? Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Why on earth would people despise the truth so much to make this former friend a foe? 
These are people who, who loved Paul so much, and, and he cares for them and, and loves them back. He welcomed them, so they welcomed him, as if he were an angel from God, is what he said, or Christ Jesus himself. And he later says he would have, they would have torn out their eyes, hopefully figuratively, uh, to, to, uh, to love him. They loved him, and he loves them. Now, in this passage, we see Paul's deep, deep love and concern for a people who once had the same deep love and concern for him, but who are now abandoning his message and himself as the messenger. They no longer bless him, but count him as an enemy. When they're with him, they accept him as a family and were eager and zealous for him. So why has their opinion changed? What, why would they want to follow someone, these other people, these people who are trying to enslave them? This isn't just intellectual for Paul. His heart cares deeply for them. See his sincere affection. He fears for them. He pleads with them as brothers and sisters. He addresses them as dear children. And he continues to love them despite their hatred of him as an enemy, following the path of Christ Jesus himself, who gave himself willingly for those who made enemies of him. Now, to Paul, and maybe to those of us looking in, The Galatians' actions just don't seem to make sense, do they? See the big contrasts here we have in this passage. First, the message. Slavery or freedom. We've got two big messages that are being given here. And second, we have slavery and the enslaver is the the person, the, the messenger giving it, and freedom and the liberator, the person giving that, that's Paul. Now these types of message and their messenger are fundamentally tied together, they're linked. These enslavers are, in fact, enslaved themselves, and they are looking to bring more people, more and more people, into their slavery. Likewise, those who truly know freedom for themselves are liberators. They're trying to bring more and more people to know the freedom that they can enjoy. So again, these different pairs are in sharp contrast. They're fighting for Galatian hearts. Let's have a look at verses 17 to 20 and see how that plays out. Those people are zealous to win you over. So red is, red is slavery and green is, um, is liberator. Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So let's see how this plays out. We've got a little table coming up. I love a good table. Um, so who, who is becoming like whom? In, in the enslaving mindset, we've got the Galatians are being made to become like the enslavers. Whereas the liberating mindset, we've got Paul, the liberator, becoming like Galatians in verse 12. Okay, and what's their motive? Well, well for the enslavers... They have a zeal for, for building up their own reputation. They want to exalt themselves. Now, that phrase that we have in our, in our Bibles, zealous to win you over, translates a word that literally means to build up or even puff up. So it could be translated as they're flattering you and making much of you so that you will flatter and make much of them. Now, the liberating mindset is one of zeal for good, for building Christ in people, not just when they know that he's watching. 
So what's the goal in these different mindsets? Well, the goal in the enslaving mindset is alienation from Christ, and that brings to slavery. Whereas the liberating mindset is one where we can enjoy freedom in Christ, like Paul. And that's, what Paul, that's why Paul wants them to, to understand this and know that for themselves again. Well, the better option appears clear, doesn't it? And that's why Paul is perplexed. <laughs> he doesn't get it. Why, why would they go back to this? Why are you abandoning the truth? Why? Why do you now count me as an enemy? The one who told you the truth that liberates you. Why do you love being enslaved? Well, I've recently been enjoying the Harry Potter books again. Some of you may know this character called... Who's this character, anyone? Dobby. Now, I know what you're thinking. The resemblance is striking to Cammy Dobby, who you saw earlier. I have on very good authority that they are not, in fact, related. Um, so don't worry about that. Now, Dobby is a house elf, a race of magical creatures which exists purely to serve their masters, and they love it. The idea of freedom just repels them. Well, Dobby the house elf is freed by Harry from his brutal masters, and he's able to be now paid for what he does, for his work in, in the house. He's not the property of a witch or a wizard. He is his own elf. So he goes to work for Harry's headmaster, Professor Dumbledore, and he's a lovely man and, and, and agrees to pay him. And Dobby discusses this with his friends. I'm going to read you an extract from the book. Professor Dumbledore says he will free Dobby, sir, if Dobby wants paying. And so Dobby is a free elf, sir. And Dobby gets a galleon a week and a one day off a month. That's not very much, Hermione shouted indignantly. Well, Professor Dumbledore offered Dobby ten galleons a week and weekends off, said Dobby, suddenly giving a little shiver, as though the prospect of so much leisure and riches was frightening. But Dobby beat him down, miss. Dobby likes freedom, miss but he isn't wanting too much, miss. He likes work better. Why would people return to slavery? We love law. We're like house elves. Being enslaved comes very, very naturally to us and to every human being. Why? Because it's the way the world works. It's the basic principles of the world. You do this, you get that. A transaction, you pay this, and you get what you deserve for that. But the gospel of grace is fundamentally different. It flips the basic principles of the world upside down. And so we don't get what we deserve. Even though we deserve judgment for our, the wrong things we've done, the way we rejected God. God says, no, I'm going I'm to pay that price for you. So you can enjoy freedom with me forever. It's fundamentally flipping those basic principles. And that's deeply humbling. And, and this is perhaps the reason why it can appear so repulsive. It says we're beyond saving. There's no amount of reputation, friendship, money, sex, power, whatever, that can ultimately satisfy us. We can't save ourselves. Our overdraft won't cover the bill if we have to try and pay our own debt. But the enslavers here are trying to convince the Galatians that they need to earn their own way to God. They're slave masters seeking to enslave the Galatians into their schemes in order to build their own reputation, to make people slaves like them. So, who are the slave masters in our culture today? Well, it's still the same basic principle working itself out. I'm going to give a few examples that I've actually, I noticed myself, my tendencies, but there's loads of other ways that will work for each of you. 
Firstly, religious slave masters. We can want salvation by power. It's a sad fact that abusive leadership is present in some churches with devastating consequences. I'm currently listening to a podcast about the rise and fall of a U.S. church, which looked so encouraging at its outset. But at its root was a hunger for power and influence, and that's what it was all about. So the leader was simply zealous for his own reputation, and he enslaved others to join in, to build up his own image. And that isn't just in the U.S., it's in the U.K., it's in Scotland, most likely. And we need to be wary of our tendency towards that. Maybe there's salvation by money. We see this in something called the prosperity gospel, which is the idea that if we give enough money to the church or to God or to Christian work, then God will give us what we want or what we think we need. He will love you in proportion to the amount of money you give. That's very, very common in many churches. And the slave master is here, is the the church leader, exalting themselves rather than Christ, seeking to make people slaves. Maybe salvation by success. Christians can be subtly tempted to think we need to prove the sincerity of our faith by successful ministry. On the church level, this might look like fixation on numbers or, or being unnecessarily controversial for no reason. As individuals, it may look like forcing our faith on other people with a motivation to look like we're successful evangelists. People who encourage this way of thinking are alienating us from the freedom found in Christ, enslaving us to a transaction in which we give God stuff and he gives us love. So there's some ideas for religious slave masters. Some non-religious slave masters of today might be salvation by approval. Our world is full of really worthy causes, and sometimes they're worth fighting for. Sometimes we can be eager to be seen to be doing what is in line with those politically correct views, and, and that can sometimes entrap us to a false gospel. We depend on the approval of other people in order to get through each day. Maybe salvation by attractiveness. This is linked to approval, I think, but it plays out, I think, hugely through social media. Constant demand to earn a reputation, to look like every day is amazing. Now, this claims to give us purpose, but ultimately, we're just falling into the same enslaving trap of building up our reputation. Finally, salvation by neededness. I've made up that word, but I hope you know what I mean. By neededness, we want to be needed. Now, this is an aspect I've been struck by particularly as I've been preparing this talk. We all have a set of relationships, friends, family, school friends, colleagues, whoever. And any person in those relationships can have the potential to be a slave master over another. I love to be needed. And this can create a hugely unhealthy power dynamic in my relationships. And it's hurt people in the past. I love it when people need me. It hits a little spot that that gives me a high. But this is the basic principle of the world, again, playing itself out in my relationships. I'm making those I enslave into my image rather than into Christ's. And that's the enslaving effect I can have on others as I too feel, that, feel an aspect of slavery to neededness. So these slave masters in our culture are truly toxic. Why? Because they follow those basic principles of the world. You get what you do. So our hearts automatically think if we do enough of these things, then we'll be vindicated, we'll be, we'll be uh, satisfied, and we'll be saved. Now this is anti-grace. It's the Galatian era. So if you see slavery as something in your life, you're likely having an enslaving effect on others as well, just like these enslavers. 
So what's the solution as we wrap up? Well, Paul presents two potential motives for ministry, enslaver or liberator. And each of us has to decide if we want to follow the enslaving route or the liberating route. And which of those two motives will be ours as we seek to influence others? Paul is perplexed as to how the Galatians could ever want to follow these enslavers. And he holds up himself as an example of someone who who is a liberator, who wants to enjoy that freedom and share it with other people. And he knows salvation by grace. See what he ends with here. My dear children, this is verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul's great aim is to see Christ formed in them. That comes off as a little bit strange, as I think, as I think to say. What he means is he wants to see the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ being built in them. He, want, he wants them to increasingly think and act and enjoy Jesus as they enjoy the freedom found in him. For, pain, he said, for Paul, this, he says this is a painful process, like giving birth to spiritual children. But the outcome is joyfully wonderful. So that's the choice each of us faces today. We are enslaved by default. And then we can go on to enslave others if we don't change our motives. So will you cast away those chains of slavery and choose to know God? Or rather, will you be known by God, as it says in verse 9? This is the great assurance of the Christian message. The initiative is all on God's side. It's him who knows us first. You can know the God who first knew you. He is the one who steps towards us, who welcomes us into relationship with him. And his heart is set on those he knows. If we start to understand that, then we'll see that we can't bolster our standing before God by our actions. And we'll move away from our tendency to enslave other people to those basic principles and instead move to liberate them as our motive. This is true liberation for us and for those we influence. So I'm going to pray just now as we finish. Um, then there'll be a, a brief moment to, um, actually, I'll, we'll have a brief moment to reflect first, and I'll, I'll close us in a prayer, and then we'll invite the band up to, to sing another song before doing some questions and response and discussion. So just have 30 seconds now to reflect on what we've been hearing. God, thank you for this wonderful message of freedom in the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that you help us in our motive, in whatever, wherever we are, wherever, wherever we come from, wherever we believe, to seek to be liberators rather than enslavers. And help us to seek that liberation found in Christ alone. Amen. Over to the band. Oh, John. <laughs>